0: Welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfomense. And on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. What's going on, people? And welcome to a brand new episode of Radical Math Talk, the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Salfa Mensa. And if this is your first time tuning in to this podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you return for future episodes after you enjoy this one. And if you are a returning listener or viewer of the podcast, I welcome you back, and I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative, enlightening, and insightful. So before we get to the main event, we got to do our housekeeping here. So first things first, if you are on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get future notifications on new episodes of not only the Radical Math Talk podcast, but our flagship podcast, A Day Talk for Educators Live. And then if you are listening from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe there as well. And of course, um, if people want to help contribute to the growth of this podcast monetarily, we do accept donations via Cash App and Venmo. So if you're on Cash App, we have the handle money sign, ID Talk for ed And if you are on Venmo, uh, we have at Kwame SM. So that's A-K-W-A-M-E-S-M. So that's the handle. Um, Make sure you follow that. And then, of course, you can check out all episodes of both podcasts on our website, IdentityTalkForEducators.com. Thank you kindly. Now, today we have a guest who has been one of the more highly requested guests since we started this podcast. Um, Every time I ask around and people are like, hey, you know, you should bring on so-and-so to this podcast. This brother's name is someone who keeps on being brought up. And I'm just honored to finally have him come on to talk with us about his work um, in math advocacy and just equity in the work and I'm just I'm just excited to get started with the conversation so you know without further ado now I want to bring on Dr. Christopher Childs to the podcast to talk with us about his work and and just how he shows up in the work because I think that's important for all of us to learn as we um, continue to grow in it so let's bring the brother on for the conversation yes sir
1: hey how are you doing today
0: I'm well how are you sir
1: man I'm excited to be on your podcast I've been hearing about your podcast all over the space and I'm like what does it take <laughs> to get on the podcast and I got the invite they're like what you gonna do I, I told my team let's go we, sign me up
0: there you go and what's crazy is um like I mentioned just now Dr child's name has been coming up time and time again whenever. I'm requesting different guests, and people are giving me recommendations. Oh, get Dr. Childs on! Dr. Childs got to be on. So it's like, "All right, the universe is spoken." So here
1: we are. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I love it. I love it. I'm excited to be here. Excited to what I call engage in the discussion. I'm not. Yes. I don't do lectures. I don't come on to tell you this, tell you that. We're gonna engage in discussion, and, and then have a discussion about what can help our people. Yes, sir.
0: And um, before we get into that discussion, the one thing that I love to do with my guests to start off is for them to share their mathography. So we all have a mathography. We all are here today because we have a mutual love for math. And I'm just interested in knowing from you, you know, how did this math journey start? How have you grown in this math space? Um, where did the love start for you? Um, how do you show up in the math space? So really just dig it into your life story within the math context, because we all have one that has led us to the work that we're doing today um, in the math space. So I want to give you the floor to just share you know, how we got here.
1: My math story was easy in a sense as I think back, because math was the one subject I truly loved when I was in K-12 education. It was a subject I knew I was guaranteed I was going to get an A in. I was guaranteed to do well in. So for me, I always used math as a subject. If I do really good in math, be honest, I didn't really care about the other subjects because I knew my math greatness, i am just put it out there, was so good that it would carry me a long way. But then when I fast forward and got to college, I was actually a computer engineering major. And I became a computer engineering major because one day my mom literally, this was how I became an engineering major. She said, I like business. I really wanted to do business, but she was like, business majors are a dime a dozen. I was like, you're right. So she said, you like computers, you like math, go be a computer engineer. And that was the end of the discussion. So in undergrad, I was a computer engineering major. I remember sitting in my electronic circuits class and in that class, I actually hated that class. Our professor was not that good. And during class, I told my boys at the time we were sitting in class, I said, look, fellas, if this engineering thing does not work out, I'm going to do what he does. And they started laughing. I'm like, think about it. I know he makes a decent salary. If you look on his door, he only teaches two or three classes. He has some office hours. We never see him. This has to be the perfect gig. Fast forward, uh, as I graduated, I was struggling to find a job. And I just started teaching because when I first graduated from Florida Agriculture and Mechanical University, locating the beautiful Tallahassee, Florida, on the highest of seven hills, I told my family you grads, you know, I had to put it out there and do it for us. But when I first <laughs> graduated, I started substitute teaching. And as I was substitute teaching in Tallahassee, I just fell in love with teaching. I said, guess what? Engineering wasn't working out at the moment. I needed a job. I was good at teaching math. I said, perfect. I'm just going to go teach math. And literally, that's how my career started. But as I was teaching in the high school classroom in Orange County Public Schools, located in Central Florida, I said, I never forgot what I told my boys. I'm going to go be a professor one day. So as I was teaching in high school, I went and got my master's degree. Then I ultimately got my Ph.D. degree in mathematics education which allowed me to further my career as a mathematics educator. Fast forward, I've taught at the university level. I've taught at, uh, I don't want to say the name of all the universities, but I've taught a couple of different universities. Most importantly, I've taught at HBCUs, and now I'm working in the math education space. I get to work on the curriculum side of the house, but I've had a varied career from working in K-12 education to working in the professional learning space, which I love doing. Now working in the curriculum space, and then also previously i worked in the higher ed space so my career is vast and i i call myself in a sense a unicorn most folks don't have the vast experiences that i've had but they've helped shape me into who i am today as a math educator so all of those experiences when you hear me speak when you're going to hear me on this podcast i'm speaking through all those experiences but most importantly i'm speaking through all the children that have been impacted my life. And I don't call them students. You're going to hear me throughout this podcast. I look at them as children because there's someone else's pride and joy. I don't look at it formal. Those are my students. No, each and every one of those children that I instructed, they also instructed me and poured into my life.
0: And that that's powerful right there. So you mentioned FAMU. Um, and I have a number of friends who have gone to HBCUs. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the privilege of going to an HBCU during my undergrad, but I do appreciate my undergrad experience at Temple University. So shout out to Temple University, you know, filling the building, right? Um, I want to know from you. When you were pursuing your doctorate degree in mathematics education, you had to have heard about the leaky pipeline as it pertains to black men uh pursuing advanced degrees in mathematics and to a greater degree, um, different STEM fields. So I'm wondering if that was added motivation for you to want to pursue a doctoral degree.
1: Honestly, at the time I I didn't look at it through that lens. My mom, she has a doctoral degree. And for me, I always want to be the best at what I do. And I want to get to the highest level. But then also, I knew to be a professor, I needed, I thought I needed a doctoral degree, but in reality, you need a graduate degree with 18 hours. But I knew to get to levels that I wanted to obtain, I really needed a doctoral degree. Now, as I was getting the degree, and after I got the degree, I then began to see and understand a better perspective of black male mathematicians and their lack in the field, less than 1%. But I kind of had a skewed upbringing, had a diverse um, school system upbringing in K through 12. Um, and when I say diverse, let's be real, racially diverse as far as the teachers that I encountered. So I always encountered black male educators that were good, especially when I went to HBCU. But then later, I really start to look at it through a different lens, enter different spaces. And I realized, oh, this is an anomaly. It's, it's not what I thought it was going into the space. Right, right. And I think, you know,
0: that part's important too. And, you know, there's so many brothers out there who may want to pursue that path, but because of different perceptions that they have about themselves in terms of being math learners, that serves as a barrier to them making those advancements. And I know I was someone who was in that predicament Um, going into Temple I was a math major, so I did all the math courses. I was doing the differential geometries. I was doing all the calculuses, the linear algebras, um, everything on the curriculum, right? And in almost every class, I was either the only brother in there or just one of the few. And I will say, you know, looking back, I probably didn't have the strongest foundation coming into um, college in terms of math because a lot of what I was doing up until that point in my K-12 experience was very much procedural, right? Step-by-step, computation-based, give me the algorithm, I'll solve for you know the formula, get the answer, and then keep it moving. There wasn't a whole lot of conceptual um, reasoning or, or critical thinking involved. Not until I got into college where, okay, we're not doing computations. Now we're just trying to prove or disprove theorems and conjectures. And just using logic as a way to make sense of the mathematics. So that was a an angle that I was not quite familiar with. And I see you trying to, you want to add something. So I want to
1: give you that space. No, I'm, this is radical math. So you're going to have to pause me and say, hey, Paul's Childs, I got so." But that's what how you were mentioning your story, too many of our black children get the same experience and that mm-hmm. procedural experience, they limit it. They actually dummy down the math because they don't believe our black children are brilliant enough to grasp the critical thinking components of it, which as you mentioned when you get to college, which is it's all critical thinking. But the problem is that is not a fault of the children, that is a fault of the system because we as a black community need to be more involved in our children's education experience to push them beyond procedural driven, but the conceptual pieces, the critical thinking pieces. And that's one of the things I do. I hold myself accountable and I hold a lot of our black brothers and sisters in the math education field accountable. I say they, a lot of times we complain, they're not enough black teachers, Chris. Part of the problem is and yes, we could talk about um, the desegregation laws and go there. And if we want to do some history of how do we get to this point? But now that we're at this point, are we visible and are we seen? Or do we arrive as Black folks in this space and get in the ivory tower like I've kind of made it? I'm good. No, we need to take time out of our day. And yes, it's above and beyond and go back into these schools, not only work with these teachers, but literally just be visibly seen. Every time I go to a K-12 school and I go frequently across the country, sometimes uninvited, I see a kid walk past me in the hall and they don't look at me like, who is the guy in the suit? They look at me two things. One, as an anomaly, because a lot of them have never seen a brother in the suit in their school. Then second they say, crap, I can be that brother one day. And it's amazing for me when I'm walking through the halls, kids are doing this or just walking with their hands to the side. Every time a little brother and my little black boys uh, got me up, high five me. And that's that cultural connection. I'm like, I see you, brother, you see me. I want you to be in this space one day. So we have to think, what can we do more of to get more of us seen that are math educators in the space? So others can see this is something I can be one day. This is something I can do. And you don't have to be a Dr. Chaps. I just want you to do what you love. But Math Max is in your DNA. So I want that to come out. I go. I say that for a little bit. Why is it? How's Math Max in their DNA? What does that mean? I shut it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that segment. But let's stay
0: there for a second. Because for so many years, we've been talking about this issue of teacher diversity. Uh, trying to get more black and brown teachers into the pipeline, whether it's the recruitment, but also how do you keep them in these systems? How do you retain the talent? Because recruiting is one thing, but how do you keep them there, right? So, from your perspective, why do you believe that we are still having a hard time trying to get brothers into these classrooms, specifically
1: as math teachers? So it's multifaceted. One, we have a, a black folks, we got to overcome the K 12 system that we endured. If a lot of times when I say endured, because it, the system that we're currently in was not created for us. That is why when we look at when schools were segregated, black children did much better. Why? The environment was created for them, for black people, by black people, with a black curriculum experience. Fast forward to today, it's a very white center educational experience, so you have to essentially deprogram yourself from that white center educational experience to understand math is so much more than I was even exposed to. Now, fast forward to your piece of how do we get black males to see this as a valuable, valuable career path? Number one, we have to be responsible. Like with this podcast, I love this because it's a visual and it's an audio. We can use this and showcase to young boys hey, these are two black males that are in education, that are cool, that are doing something positive. I can be that. Because what happens with our black boys, what do they see? They see athletes, they see entertainers, or they see other folks visually. And when I say visually, on Instagram, on the TikToks, um, they see them on the TV screen. So we have to do a job of how do we put ourselves out there and make an education. This is a cool path. Folks always a little known secret: Why I grew my hair. My close friends know why I grew my hair out. <clears throat> not because I was just trying to be young, but I looked at a lot of my boys in school had locks, or they had their hair grown out at the time, and I said to myself, "And I used to get, in, and they get in trouble." I said, "Guess what, Dr. Childs gonna grow his hair out." Because when I come into a school as Dr. Childs, they won't say anything to me, and I'm gonna teach them not to say anything to you about your hair, which is natural growing out the side of your head. But back to your piece specific strategy. Of how to get more in the field, as we look at recruitment. So, if you work in HR or if you're in a position of hiring, you have to be intentional as you seek out black bodies. This, so, some of y'all just want a head count, so I use bodies in that sense. But who are you seeking out, and are you seeking out one, or are you seeking out multiple folks as you're doing the hiring process? It is so much easier when you bring on three or four black people into the space or three or four melanated people in the space, so they have a community. But oftentimes when hiring, folks are looking for the one unicorn, Chris, I I needed someone who speaks Spanish, I found this Latina, she's gonna come into this all-white environment and be our savior. I'm like, you're setting them up for failure. We, if you're in positions to hire, you need to bring in cohorts of folks, why? So they can work together, they can bond, because if you're looking to bring them in, you think about it, you're bringing them into a system that was not designed for them. And now you're going to make them forced to be a part of it. And then you wonder, dear Chris, they didn't work out. I wouldn't work out either if I was a whale meant to be in the ocean swimming and you put me in a fish tank. Exactly. So now if you're in the hiring space, that you need to think about it from the cohort model. Also for our people, I'm talking to black folks, we need to start lifting up when people say they want to be an educator and not, oh, my gosh, what are you doing that for? What are you going to school for? Because education for our people is the backbone of who we are. Dating back all the way to the beginning of civilization, our people value quality education. That's why when you fast forward to today, we still understand what it should be like. Then. So if we look at hiring, hiring through a cohort, one, our people looking at education as a viable career path. And then the third thing, what we have to do is get out of the notion that we all have to go back to the current K-12 system and fix it. In 2022, we're in a time period where we can build our own. Mm. Are we willing to do what it takes to build our own? And that can be through homeschool. That can be through virtual school. It can also be through something that I'm exploring now I call it a community based school because everybody, let's be honest, everybody can't do homeschool. Everybody can't do the virtual piece. Well, guess what? Send your kids to a K 12 school because some need it for, I'm be honest, some need it for babysitting. <laughs> some just like, this is the best valuable option. All right, send them to that. Then I got something for you over here after school on the weekends, maybe Sunday, that gives them what they really need to succeed in the society that they may not get in the traditional K-12 space. So we have to start thinking outside the box, what can we do for our people? And not just wait on the system, but we can create our own system of things that we can do within the space.
0: And I love what you said about the importance of us being in this space together as two black male math educators being counter narratives to what everybody says about us in that space. That's the major reason why I wanted to start this particular podcast, because so often you see brothers and even our sisters in the mass space. And just quite frankly, you see white folks looking at us like you shouldn't be here. Or it's a shock that we're here. You know, we're anomalies. So I wanted to just show our young people, particularly our black or brown people, that hey, we do exist. And guess what? We don't all look like Steve Urkel, right? We we, we got some swag to us. Now, I mean Urkel has swag, but we, we got a different type of swag. And we want to show those different sides and different facades because there is this perception that if you are someone who loves math. You're supposed to have your pants up high. You're supposed to be wearing suspenders. You're supposed to have the geeky glasses and, you know, uh, and, you know, a lot of acting in your face. Like, no, that's not every math person that I know. There are people who look like me, that who look like you. And, and guess what? They know their math. You just got to give them the opportunity to showcase that and not um, jump into, you know, conclusions about who they are, which happens way too often.
1: And that's what we that's we think about the journey that we're on at this moment in life. Our job is to bring it back to that piece. You don't you don't nothing against Urkel. I got a book up here on Steve Urkel. That was my carrot. That was my one of my favorite entertainers. Oh, I, love, I, love, I love. Urkel.
0: Shout out to Jill White. But I
1: love they, him. Look at me and you, two cool brothers chilling, <laughs> and we math educators and know our stuff. And there's so many more of us. And what I need us to do in the space, as Kwame stated. We know our stuff. Know your stuff first. Be tight with your content. Then add the cool factor. Because some folks in the field—and this is all races, they so cool and don't know anything about the content. Yeah, I'm talking to you. If you get offended, now I want one of my disdains, but I, I take this math education to heart. If you don't know your content, you need to get tight before you start to get out here. In this field like i take math education serious you better know this content <laughs> all right let, let's stay on that because this is
0: important right i don't know if this was the experience for you but i know for myself uh when i became a teacher a math teacher specifically i had the content knowledge that was there but going back to what i told you earlier about my k-12 experience it was all procedural knowledge. Pretty much step by step. If you plug these numbers into this algorithm, you're going to spit out this answer. If you follow these three, four steps, it's automatic going to get this answer every time. It wasn't so much of the why, the, the conceptual part of it. Like, why do we flip the reciprocal for the second fraction when we are dividing fractions? Why do we flip the reciprocal? What does that mean? um why is it that when we're solving a two-step equation we have to use the inverse operation in order to keep the equation balanced what's the purpose of us doing that we never got to the why it wasn't until i was learning how to be a teacher it wasn't until i was building my pedagogical skills that i started to connect the dots so of course first year i'm teaching students are asking me, Mr. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? I can't answer them because I don't know. I'm doing what my teacher told me 15, 20 years ago. So I had to look it up and I had to get myself familiar with what's going on. So when you talk about teachers needing to know the math, it goes really beyond having the content knowledge. But we have to break down what content knowledge is because that in itself is multifaceted, right? It's not just the procedural knowledge, it's also The application of that knowledge it's also the conceptual knowledge and how it looks in different contexts so i really want you to expound on that because i think that that piece is really crucial to this our understanding
1: but it's crucial that we're growing within the field like for me in this field you may be smarter than me i it's a lot of people smarter than dr Childs, but i guarantee you're not going to outwork me so if i find out you know something i don't know I'm gonna grab one of these. This is a real bookshelf. This is not no background virtual. These are real books. My kids got a bookshelf bigger than this one and I got even more books in some other rooms bigger than this. Why do I talk about these books? Because what we need is in the book to grow ourselves. When I was coming up in the game, there was nothing for me to be up to 2 a.m. in the morning studying and figuring out this math. it's reading mm-hmm. the content standards, understanding the states, we have the standards for mathematical practice. If I'm looking at a pedagogical approach, if I'm looking at students' identity, what does that mean? I am putting in the work in that time because there's no traffic on that extra mile. What we have to do in this field is be willing to go that extra mile when it comes to studying and understanding our content and not saying, you know, Chris, the research says, I'm going to ask you what research you're talking about. Did you actually read the research or did the researcher 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 tell you about the research? We have to be uh, be in the mindset of going that far with our our knowledge base so we can understand and learn. I work in the States with some of the smartest people in the field. When we sit down and have conversations, guess what? They still ask questions. They still don't know a lot of things and they're taking notes. If these, the quote unquote brain trust of math that are having these critical conversations, we're thinking, if you're a first year teacher, a pre-service, Guess what? You don't have all the answers. It's not a bad thing, but are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to read the books? Are you willing to go to the conference? Are you willing to not get your information from a social media meme, but actually read the book? Study the research. Why? Take away just you. Do the children in which you serve deserve better? Do the Mm. children in which you instruct deserve better? You deserve someone who cares about them and cares about the content, because in this field of math education, it can be used to move so much further than just a standardized test. It can be moved so much further than just can I complete some problems in the book. Understanding when math was developed, created, when it started, it was used for problem solving. It has been used throughout civilization since the beginning of time. Every culture has contributed to math education. What does that mean, Chris? That means there's so much we don't even know about this subject. We need to be fighting to understand it. And then most importantly, posit this information into the children because we're only here for a short amount of time. Are we putting in what we need to put in now to give them what they need to do their part of the race when they get the baton? It starts with this deep content knowledge it starts with allowing students to develop a conceptual understanding of the material and under and going back to what i said earlier with the dna part of it with especially our black children civilization started in africa you can dispute me if you want but that's not a dispute you want to try me with if civilization started in africa that means the original people what you would call nowadays someone identifying as black Back then, they didn't use that. But since you want to use that term, we can use that term identify as black or we can go a little broader stroke. Someone that identifies as melanated. What does that mean? Folks, I am a descendant of those people. Black folks are descendant of those people. I have melanated folks are descendant of those people, meaning my great, 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 great. great. got to keep going with the greats. Grandparents were descendants in Africa, meaning their DNA is running through my veins. If their DNA is running through my veins, the folks that built the pyramids. If that DNA is running through my brains, the folks that created the first ships. If that DNA is running through my veins, the first the folks that created the first actual airplanes, not the Wright brothers. If that DNA is running through my blood and my black brothers and sisters' blood, you telling me they can't solve uh, any problem you put in front of them conceptually? Are you giving them the opportunity to unlock that power that is inherently within them? Because when you are born, you get everything beside you that came from all of your ancestral lineage. So these black babies that here now on this earth and in this planet, especially in the continent of the United States, have everything they need. The key is the system tells them they don't have what they need. The system thinks they can only do procedural. But what we have to do is say, hey, forget the system. I know you got what you need. I know it's in your DNA. Here, here's something, go build, go do, and see what these children come up with.
0: And I believe that's the key. If we are able to expose our children to their ancestral greatness within this math context, I'm almost certain, I am 100% certain that 100% of students would want to engage in math and they wouldn't be asking the question why are we doing this math why 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 but we know that the system that we're in this K-12 system that that we went through doesn't assign value to that ancestral greatness that's why it's not something that's required for us to even teach kids when they're doing math we're now trying to push that into the curriculum now um and I see you got a book there You want to show us what you got there? You know I had to
1: grab a book. So here's the problem. In the States, we have this whole notion that the Greeks created this, the Greeks created that. The only thing the Greeks did was have pen and paper and went over to Africa and studied in African universities and took that knowledge back, erased the African part and said the Greeks discovered it. You don't believe me? I I bring receipts. Look at timelines for when things were designed. Then you come back to me and say who created what. You always talk about Pythagorean theorem and how he created a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Did he really? Because I can, he well, wasn't pretty sure that well, was the right So, history. Why? why so, you, I know folks are hung up on the Greeks. And then some folks say, Chris, I get the Africa, but I'm, I'm blank. I'm from this culture. Well, guess what? Check out this book. This is a real book The Crest of a Peacock, The Non European Roots of Mathematics. This takes you through historical timeline. From the beginning civilizations up, how did mathematics influence and impact every culture? If you identify as Mexican, your culture heritage within this book. If you identify as Asian, if you identify um, as Chinese, all of those pieces, every culture contributed. But we only learn about these thinking Greeks who all they did was steal. So, the crest of a peacock, non European roots. Yeah, some people are like it's like the it's thick of the yellow pages. But every child deserves to see their identity and lived experience in a mathematics education experience. Every child. I didn't say say black, I said every child, not just the white kids who currently see themselves, but every single child deserves to see how their culture contributed to mathematics. That is on us as a part of the system to make sure that occurs.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's our responsibility. And what's great about what's been going on over the past couple of years is that there's a huge push for for ethnic studies in math. Now we're starting to see more talk around really exposing students to the history behind the mathematics, getting them to understand the origins of math um, so that they can understand how it is now. Like We didn't have that when we were growing up, and now there's more conversation around it. So you are in the state of Florida. So I, so this, is, I think, is a perfect segue into what um, has been transpiring recently. Um, we know that there's been a nationwide movement where we're seeing books being banned from our curriculum, whether it's uh, fictional, non-fictional books, books that are... Pre- pertaining to different historically marginalized groups, whether you're talking black people, whether you're talking LGBTQ plus people, whether you're talking about um, indigenous, Latinx, what have you. Now we're going from that to banning math books because of evidence of what is being deemed CRT. I have never heard anything like that before. When I saw it, I said, "Nah, y- y'all fooling me right now. And then I had to actually, you know, look at the different news articles and I was like, oh, this is really happening. Like, governor's not playing. But it's, but it's just crazy. So I, I got to hear your thoughts on that because, you know, you're, you're close to home. It's, it's in your home, basically.
1: So end day, is it really crazy? What we have to do is first ask ourselves, I challenge every every listener, what are the identities of the folks that are creating these laws? Come on. Be specific. Don't don't be general um, listeners. What are the specific identities of the folks creating these laws? Based upon the specific identities of the folks that are creating these laws, who do these laws benefit? Third question. Are the folks who are creating these laws representative of the global majority of people in the United States or in the globe? When you answer those questions, then let's have the conversation about what's going on here in America, what's going on here in Florida. All the pretense, as one of my favorite scholars, Dr. Greg Carstead states, has been dropped. There's no secret to the agenda that has been put forth. The question is, will we let a group of minorities push these things through. And why do you say, Chris, a group of minorities? If we look at from a global lens, those who identify as melanated are the greater population. Those that identify as non-melanated are actually the minorities in this globe. So if we want to use the term minority, let's use the term correctly in the space. Then if we want to look at the student population, the child population in the United States, 53% of students identify as Black, identify as Hispanic, Latino, or Latina, identify as Asian American, identify as Pacific Islander, identify as two or more races. If I'm not mistaken, that means they are a majority of children in the United States school system. Again, we must ask ourselves, who do these laws benefit and who do these laws continue to focus on historically excluded? excluding? But the problem is, which I have with this majority of folks that are melanated, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to do the right thing by every single child? And notice I say do the right thing by every single child, because when I say the right thing through every single child, I am not only talking about my melanated children. I'm talking about my non-melanated children also, because in my work, I focus on things through a racial justice lens and a social economic justice lens. Chris, why do you focus on both lenses? You've been talking about race, ethnicity most of the show. Yes, I have, because there's a premier lens that we need to have the discussion about. Also, talk about things through a social economic justice lens. Why? Because guess some places I go, folks are like, "Chris, you're in blank place in the Midwest. We're not racially diverse here, but you got poor white kids here, don't you? You got poor white children here. So guess what? They need some social economic justice too. So it, it it when you go through a lens of racial justice and social economic justice in this fight, you get people to see they're more alike than they're than they're not, and then you can begin to work together to change things for the better. But a lot of folks are literally sitting back and a lot of our good educational leaders are seeing these laws go into effect. They know they're going to impact melanated children the most. So that's why a lot of folks can sit back and say, well, you know, Chris, it's not that bad. But it is that bad. And we have to think about what are we going to do to counteract this piece? We cannot. People have fought too hard over the course of time. They've died. And we're going to take the baton in this lifetime and just say, hey, we got a couple dollars. We don't we are good. No, we need to fight for racial and social economic justice. And that is for everybody. If one child is is suffering, all children are suffering. And going back to the initial question with these laws that are happening in Florida, all pretenses have been dropped. The laws are focused on making sure non-melanated folks maintain power. Also making sure non-melanated folks see themselves centered within the peace. And if you look at all of my work, I say decenter all of it. And when we say decenter whiteness, so everyone has a, a true opportunity. Do you know in the United States, a law has never been passed that privileges melanated people? If I'm wrong with somebody, you know, ping me, you know, messages. A law has never been passed in the United States that privileges melanated people. People will say, Well, Chris, you know, what about the uh civil rights movement? I didn't say give people. Quote unquote uh, equality, I said privilege, not one single law ever. Right. What are we going to do in this place that we say justice for all? You know, some say we mean it, some say we don't. But what are we going to do to make sure every person, based upon their identity, has an equal opportunity to live, to succeed, and be treated as a human deserving of life in this space? I look at what the laws are happening in Florida as it relates to the LGBTQ plus population. You can agree with um, decisions. You cannot agree with decisions. But do can you at least agree that they're human deserve human human humane treatment? They de- de- agree to be treated as a person deserving a space on this earth? You can agree with the lifestyle or not. What, the, what does it have to do with you? They deserve to be human. All right. You look at the laws that have been passed that are impacting stu- children who speak a different language. Just because you're not a multilingual, you're you're it's, it's against them. They um there's an old saying that said, what is something that's good if you're good if you're rich, bad if you're poor, speaking a second language. Because when you're poor, identifying and speaking the second language, oh, why are you talking that other language? But if you're rich and you're out with the bourgeoisie, come on it's, it's all of a sudden great. But this country has to ask itself, it's already asked itself, so we know the answer. The people need to ask itself because the country is is where it's at. But the people need to ask themselves, can, or do we want better? And if we look at it from a numerical perspective, majority of the people want better, but majority of the people need to get off their butts and do something.
0: So we're we're in we're at this point now. we've we've reached this tipping point in education where, Everything's coming to a head. We know about COVID. We've talked about the banned books. We've talked about anti-critical race theory rhetoric that's been spewed out um, over these past couple years. Now we're dealing with gun laws and mass shootings still happening, even though there is a law that was passed by the House that can help do background checks to prevent some of these shootings from happening, there's so much going on. So when we think about this continuous wave of teachers leaving the profession, left and right, I think what you mentioned is, is so important because, all right, we all can see what the issues are. It shouldn't have taken a great resignation to get to this point because these are issues that have just been exacerbated over time. They've always been there, pretty much. The question is, then what's next? If for the teacher that is deciding, hey, I want to leave this K-12 system and do something different. My heart's still in teaching. My heart's still in education, but not in this current context that it's in. Well, what do you say to that teacher who wants to get off their butt and, and do something?
1: I think we have to look at it two two ways. Uh, I've been saying for a couple of years now the goal has always been to privatize public education. Uh, when I first started saying the goal was to privatize public education, I only I, I saw it through the lens of the money. It's a money grab. You privatize privatize education. A lot of let's be honest, a lot of folks that, folks that identify as white gonna make a whole lot of money off of the system. But then COVID showed us that another plan was not only to take all the money from the system to tax dollars. But also we can indoctrinate children through the system. We can strip all of the stuff we've talked about, the culture piece, and we can literally say we would have a white identity agenda in schools because they're private. What can you do? You can't you can't control it. They control themselves. But then to the educators out there, I need you all to realize education is not confined to a brick and mortar K-12 building. Right. Education is all around us. If you really love what you do and care about what you do, so why can't you start a YouTube channel teaching kids how to um, read? Why can't you in your community take 30 minutes out your week and say, hey, you all come to the clubhouse on 30 minutes. We're going to go do some reading. Why, If you're in, in the church sector, why aren't you on Sunday mornings taking 10 minutes of the pulpit's time to talk about something related to science? Why aren't we in the community opening when your children outside playing? Hey, y'all come to my yard for five minutes. I'm going to tell you about your the history of America. We think K-12 education buildings are the school or the education system. It's beyond that. To my new educators, what I challenge you all to do is to fight like heck and think outside the box. Too many young educators come into this game with all these ideas. All of us had a bunch of ideas. And we let the system beat us down and we give up. And part of the reason the system beat us down and we give up, we weren't thinking in a cohort model, going back to what I stated earlier. And in this cohort model, not only a group of folks come into a school building, but what we need to do is have a lineage of educators, meaning if you're a young ed- educator, who is that OG educator that is pulling you along the way, giving you some insight? And then if you're a young educator, who is that younger educator that you're pulling along the way? So we're like a chain, in this field of education, working together. The OG is pouring into you. You're pouring into the OG and it goes back and forth. The young generation is pouring into the younger generation and we're creating something new and something different. But if we're waiting on the school building to catch up, we're mistaken. But if you're an educator about this education life, I don't want to hear, Chris, they didn't let me teach my new lesson today during school hours. Go home, get on YouTube, record it and shoot out that video. Guess what? You taught your lesson. Chris, the school won't let me do all this. I got all these. If you got so many good doggone talents, showcase them. I've never been in a school building where the principal was like, you know, Chris, that teacher is so talented. I don't let them do showcase their talents. I've never seen it. And then if I do see it, I tell you how many schools are there in the country. Go to another one. But these children here, you're not a savior. Our job is to educate and give these children the tools they need. And sometimes education does not look like what is in the box, what you were taught in your pre-service teacher program. For me, I jump on YouTube, create something. I can create a curriculum. I can do some one-on-one trainings. I'm thinking so much outside the box with this thing, and I'm implementing it. A lot of us, you know, we in the social media area, I'm worried about the likes. Wait, how many people saw my stream? I only got three views. What if one of those three views had a cure for AIDS? (laughs) Are we willing to put that in? And start small, and don't worry about scaling it. Your mission could be: I got five children; I'm gonna teach them how to read. In the conversation, are you are you willing to do? Let me calm down. I'm getting hyped, man. You, you get me riled <laughs> up and, on this. And okay. then,
0: I wanna, and I wanna keep this going because you're getting somewhere with the pre-service teacher piece. But I wanna bring it back into the math context uh because we've already stated that the way that we were trained to teach math at that pre-service level didn't quite serve us well and we had to go through some growing pains, right? So I'm interested in knowing from you what measures need to be taken in our teacher prep programs to support pre-service math teachers in terms of developing more culturally responsive and anti-racist ways of educating children and it doesn't even matter you know what the identities are but just at that core what are some measures that we can take because we we didn't really get that in our in our um preparation so how do we change how we do things at that level
1: so we had the first reverse engineer ask ourselves the question why should we have gotten that in our k-12 education uh, there's an old saying. I got I got to pull this quote. You're going to have to bear with me for one second. I, I could te- keep talking as we're going. But there's a quote from my one of my great favorite scholars. And folks are saying, if you love the quote and you're a great scholar, why do you have to pull it up? I don't want to misquote with this scholar. But what we have to understand is why? why should we have gotten that piece? And then the second thing what we have to understand is as it relates to a anti-racist education, we need to just, are we willing to define it? Number one, and for our listeners, I'm pulling up this code, so be, bear, bear with me. But are we willing to define what it is? But the second thing, which I get mad with a lot of folks, is I'm. yes, I want to define it. Cool. I want us to show what it looks like. We don't need a research project. We don't need 10 weeks. Show me a math task or a math lesson or a unit that engages in an anti-racist lens. Don't tell me, you know, the theoretical frame of how it looks and how, no. (laughs) Show me what it is so I can take it to the people to use it. People can't use no theories and they need some practical, but I wanna wanna say my quote, then I'm gonna come back to what we can do practical. Yeah, yeah. This is one of my my favorite scholars, Dr. John Henry Clark. Old school (laughs) folks, y'all know about it. Powerful people cannot afford to educate the people that they oppress, oppress. Because once you are truly educated, you will not ask for power. You will take it. So our problem is we want to use the current K-12 education system to dethrone America, or dethrone the powers that be, as opposed to thinking through the lens. And this is why a lot of these laws are coming. They like, wait, wait, we can't liberate these children too much. like They're going to take our jobs. They're going to change it up. Why are we not using outside tools to dismantle what we need to dismantle? When we use these outside tools and start waiting on the pre, we really think nothing gets my pre-service teacher folks. I, I, I'm from higher ed. I'm with y'all. Most of them don't know. It, ed- most pre-service te- educate, teacher education programs don't have an anti-racist lens. Un- it, how would they even know what it is? Again, all we would like right now, we're spending time to on this podcast. We can. I'm, I'm going to throw out free game to folks. We can spend time together and get a couple brothers together, a couple sisters together, and say, hey, y'all, we're going to work on some uh, anti-racist uh, math tasks. What, what does that cost us? Go implement them in your environment. Well, Chris, I can't do it in my environment. All right, let's go implement them on Saturday tell five kids to show up. We need to be practical in what we're doing, and so many, Chris, we got to study it, see if it works. I know the current system ain't working.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> That's, that's, that's like people. People love to get me with Chris. We got to see how it's going to work out. Well, guess what? I see. I look at the data. If you identify as black, I, I know your student achievement data. If you identify as Hispanic, Latina, Latina, I know your student achievement data. If you identify as a English language learner, which I hate that term, I like to use the term multilingual. I know your student achievement data. <laughs> going back to my social economic status, because a lot you know, white folks like that's not us. If I look at your social economic status of students who participate in the free or reduced lunch program, I know what the student achievement data, the child's achievement data looks like. So obviously what we're doing is not working. All right, Chris, I don't believe you. Go look at the NATE data, the NATE data. So y'all, then y'all can come back and don't believe me. But when I look at the data, what we're doing is not working. So are we willing to do something radically different? Or are we going to keep doing the same thing over and over and then come back to the same podcast 10 years from now? Chris, what happened? Um, they did going to put me in jail for talking about <laughs> deliberating people. They said, oh, is, is that or are we going to say, look? We have to think strategically building our own systems to and creating new systems. Are we still gonna keep going back to this place that's on fire that's gonna burn? I hate to say it, it's gonna burn to the ground. Who gets to build a new thing? I said that we went to COVID. I say one thing I love about COVID, we got an opportunity to create something new. Then we got back in these school buildings and created the same darn thing with a mask on. Well, depends upon where you're you in Florida, you have a mask on, these people are crazy, but what are we willing to do radically different and try And my thing, if it don't work, you can always go back to what you've been doing. that hasn't been working, but I'm going to try something new. So this new stuff that I'm working on, this anti-racist stuff, I'm going to try it. I'm going to put it out there. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, shoot. It's better than what they were getting. <laughs> Couldn't get worse. could get worse. Oh my gosh. You did some fact family thing. Your time test. Oh my gosh. What are you going to do with that in life? I don't know. Do you not know do a light? You know how to pay your light bill? Nope. Do you know how to balance your, your accounts? Nope. But do you know your time tables? Yep. You're right. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh,
0: man. But the crazy thing is, non-melanated people have been doing this for years, finding ways to capitalize off of whatever skills and talents they got within this oppressive system they figured out ways to make it beneficial to them we got to catch on (laughs) and find ways that we can use our talents use all the expertise that we've been able to gather from our different institutions of higher learning in order to liberate our young people from this system because we have it We come into these systems with it. The problem is we have to be willing to shift our paradigm as it pertains to that. And there are a lot of us who are, for whatever reason, um, holding allegiance to norms and and principles that just don't align with, with liberation. They align with white dominant culture. And we we have to be able to call that out and to unlearn what we've learned over an extended period of time from our K twelve experience, even going into our college experience. We've been taking in these subliminal messages because not all they're not all overt. Some of these have been subliminal in the way we've been taught, and even within the curriculum that we've been um, that's been taught to us yeah
1: so I want to ask our audience two questions. Go for it. The first question being do you want better?
0: Mm.
1: Do you really want better? The second question do you realize your time on earth is a, it's a time limit you're gonna die you when you pass the graveyard, I don't know if you all remember the light, the movie Life. He said, "That's gonna be us one day. That's gonna be us. That's gonna be you yeah. one day." Yep. If you realize one day you're gonna die, and if you also realize, ask yourself, "Do you want better?" I challenge you. What the heck you gonna do? I, I don't want to hear about, you know, some you know culturally we say the white man. I don't want to hear about that. Is it a factor yeah do we need to address it yeah what are we going to do what are each of us listening to this podcast going to do in our respective places to change this I tell my team that I work with I tell others when I get on these calls I don't I don't spew rhetoric I don't just rile you up I go and put this work in is it sometimes it's a big time yeah sometimes it's a small time yeah but guess what I'm putting this work in are you putting that work in a lot of folks just talking I'm putting the work in And you got to be willing to unapologetically put that work in. And don't go through the lens of, you know, Christian, yeah, I need to put the work in because, you know, black people went through that slavery thing. Stop starting your history at slavery because when you start your history at slavery, everything looks like process. Start your history before slavery. What what were your people doing? What greatness were they doing along the Nile Valley? And understand that's the blood that's running through your veins. Are you going to do something different on behalf of these children? Are you just going to sit, get a cup of coins, say you made it, get a house on the hill? Or are we going to radically do something different for education and have our own educational systems still working to transform the one on fire? But our children deserve so much more. And we are the generation in this space. We got we got the education level. We got the numbers. We just got to work together and do it.
0: Right. It ain't enough to have the degrees. If we're not using the degrees for liberation, then what are the degrees worth, right? What are the titles worth?
1: <laughs> what, what is it worth? Like, literally, we got all these more great degrees in the thermometer, titles, mm-hmm. bank. I know some people got some nice bank accounts, multiple cars, and i people on. still suffering every day, man. Like, when is enough going to be enough? And we can't. In a, a white-dominated society, it's very individualistic. And what I mean by individualistic, most folks in that society don't move until something specifically happens to them or their immediate family. When you come yeah. from a collectivist lens, you understand we're all interconnected. We all work together. Too many of us have subscribed to this individualistic piece, and we we it doesn't move us until something happens to us. As opposed mm-hmm. to an African-American culture, it, I'm if you depend upon when you're listening to this, um, you've already just happened where there's a mass shooting and children were murdered and teachers were murdered. And I was on a call recently with some leaders. I won't say the name of the leaders, you all know, so you don't have to like go to And we were talking about the new, the current events in education and the current events went something like, yeah, we just um, states just passed this new law. Um, this curriculum is about to be adopted. We have this research project. Um, Nineteen people got killed in a school shooting. Um, tomorrow we're going to have another discussion about this new um, assessment instrument. And okay, any questions? And I sat there. I told these folks on the call, these are leaders in education. I say, y'all just realize people got killed. Children in our field. You may not like Buffalo. There's, you know, some black folks. Y'all may not care about them. Innocent babies were killed, and y'all sat here on the call and act like this was the news of the day, what is it going to take for you all as quote unquote leaders to do better and to do more? Mm. All of us play a role in this. We come from a i collect- I'm talking to my melanated folks, I can't, and the only reason I say I'm talking to melanated folks, that's my little experience, y'all, so you can't get mad, I'm talking to my little experience. What are we doing though this collective lens to make sure all of us have better? Each and every one of us, from African lens society, the whole purpose was everybody to have what they need, Period. Not too much, not too little. Everyone get what they needs met. We got to come back to that piece. And from an education lens, making sure my work a lot of it focuses on math and and, and actually ELA. I don't talk about the ELA size much, making sure our babies can read. Mm. Well, and again, I give you practical things we can do to help children, to help black children specifically. But guess the same strategies I use for black children, they help they work for all children. The question is, are we willing to implement them and then understand. The system ain't designed for us, but if you're the majority, my thing is majority rules. Redesign a new system.
0: And that's probably a perfect way to end this hour. Um, But, and Dr. Childs, man, I appreciate you for coming on and just dropping these gems and just sharing your experience because this is what this podcast is about. This is about just sharing stories. We're not here talking about pedagogy. We're not here talking about theorems. We're talking about life experience. And life experience can take us a long way, especially in this quest for liberation. We need to hear how we've fallen, how we've been able to get up to continue to fight another day. And you do it. You do it with your words. You do it with your actions. And, and personally, just from one brother to another, I appreciate you.
1: And I appreciate everything you're doing. It was a pleasure to be on this podcast. I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna do a shameless plug. You can check me out on all social media platforms at drk child. Make sure you visit my website, ww.crispchiles.com. I don't get into all the different things. I like got I got books out there, I got uh interviews out there, all that thing. But in the, the day, understand I'm fighting for all children. But I got two black girls, I'm fighting for them. Let's just be honest. And mm. I want everybody just like I fight for my two girls, then oh, they actually in the picture on here. I won't point out the picture; they don't like being on camera anyway. Even though they're <laughs> that picture, over. There. Um, but some folks ask why you go so hard. Cause guess what? I got two black girls. I got two strikes. I got against them that identify as black, that identify as female. That's two strikes. So as I go hard for them, I think about every other child out there with strikes against them, and I got. To, I'm going hard for all these children, and hopefully one day it'll change for the better. But until that day, I'm going to be unapologetic. I'm going to be on you and I'm going to fight for this anti-racist education. And I say Black Lives Matter until the wheels fall off. Because when Black Lives Matter, this whole country will matter. But until then, it's all about this Black Lives Matter movement and what it's going to take to make sure Black people are liberated and can live free human beings in this society, deserving the space and energy just like everybody else.
0: All right. And then, real quick, we're going to do a Really quick lightning round, um, few quick hitters to close us out. So, um, first question I have for you is: What are you doing for self care? How are you sustaining?
1: I'm beaching. I love the beach, so uh, you catch me on the beach if you're down here in Florida. And then, some people know I like I like racing, so I got little hobbies that do a little racing. Uh, it's safe, so I don't want nobody phoning in, but I do a little racing on the side also.
0: Uh cool. Um favorite math lesson to teach or learn.
1: I call it fractions my favorite F word. <laughs> so when I taught high school, I used to say we're gonna do our favorite F-word today. They're like, oh, okay, a the fractions, they're like, this man right here is gonna get fired. And it's funny. Uh, I, I love fractions just because it's one of those topics that can be um seem complex, but as you break it down, very simplistic topic.
0: And what is the most difficult topic to teach or learn math wise?
1: I don't think any topic is, is difficult to teach. The key is, I think the biggest thing, and this is from educators, is letting children have the time to explore and develop a conceptual understanding. So it's not difficult, it's more so are we willing to put in the give more time for that to occur? Because oftentimes we want to do things fast. So it's really the difficulty is us shutting up as educators and giving children time to explore. That's the difficult part, is just the time component of any topic.
0: Dr. Christopher Childs, thank you so much for coming on Radical Math Talk. Um, this was awesome. And I'm pretty sure after listeners hear this, there's gonna probably be a part two of this. There's gonna there's gonna to be a
1: part two. <laughs> Anything I can do to support what you're doing, keep up the amazing work you're doing. And from one brother to another, I appreciate you, brother, giving you your roses for what you're doing and what you're putting out there. And we never know where this can go. So I'm proud of what you're doing, man. Keep up the amazing work.
0: I appreciate it. Man, you have a blessed day, brother. All right, y'all. So we're about to end another fantastic episode of Radical Math Talk. And as always, I wish you all good morning, good afternoon, Good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at IdentityTalk4Educators.com. I'll say it one more time. IdentityTalk4Educators.com. Thank you and have a great day.